You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good morning, East Point Church. How are you guys? I love that buzz in the room, man. Good to be with you. Good to be with you. Go ahead and open up your Bibles, please, to Psalm 100. Today, we are wrapping up our Songs of Summer series. Our play- Have you guys enjoyed the series? Right? This is the playlist of God's people, the Psalms. It is the, the song collection, right? Five albums in the whole collection of Psalms, and we have been focusing on the praise Psalms. We have been looking to Psalms. We have been listening and bopping and bumping the Psalms in the Bible that call us to look up, that lead us to exalt in God, to see Him for who He is, and to give Him the praise that He deserves. And so I have loved this series so, so good uh, to be in this, and we are going to conclude it today. And the next week, you guys know what we're doing next week? I don't know. What are we doing next week? No, no, no. Next week, we are going to continue part two of the book of Mark, all right? So we're going to do a few weeks in the book of Mark, and then we'll be ready for the fall. So, alrighty, Love you guys. So glad to be here. My name is Sam. If we have not had the privilege of meeting, uh, I get to serve as the lead pastor here, one of four elders at this church and with our pastoral staff. And I have three boys married to a beautiful woman who has produced three boys. Uh, I know. Gasp. I feel like that explains a lot, doesn't it, right? If I just start breaking down weeping in the middle of my sermon, you're like, hey, he's got three boys. Uh, you know, so many people have been like, come on, try for the girl, you know? And like, I admit, like, it was kind of one of those, like, for a moment, I started to go, you know what? That's all I said, you know what? And then the Lord brought a beautiful family into my life. Uh, they go to our church, they have three girls, and somebody had told them, try for the boy. And they are now pregnant with twin girls. And I said, you are my cautionary tale from the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. The Lord sent a prophet to tell me not to do it. So uh, we have three boys. My oldest is seven. uh, My middle is four. And my youngest is two. I know. Aw, my wife is beautiful. And he's nice, too. And so my two-year-old, you could tell we have a two-year-old just by the way we talk in our house. You know what I'm talking about? There's like the two-year-old tone, right? We find ourselves often talking like, oh, yeah? Uh-huh. You know what I mean, right? It's like we were at the grocery store just the other day, and my two-year-old insisted he wanted to scan the groceries. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to make a scene. Fine. And I set him there, and like a boss, he just starts picking up the cheese. Beep. Puts it in the bag. Beep. Beep. I was like, whoa, all right, this is good. And I say to him, I say in the grocery store, you're doing it, buddy, Right? And I just imagine the people with their backs to me, right, in aisle three, and they're like, who is that guy talking to? The two-year-old tone, you know, lots of praise, lots of affirmation, lots of encouragement. Sometimes we talk like this to non-two-year-olds, right? My wife is home all day with our boys, and I walk in the door, she goes, you're home! Hey, you know? Like literally just yesterday, I'm talking to my kids, my wife's talking, and I go, all right, daddy's going to go put on his jammies now. I'm going to go get dressed for the nighttime because I'm a man. You know, it's like, 
There's just a tone. It's contagious. And I realized something funny, right? As we talk this way, as we, as we lavish our praise, as we lavish our encouraging tones, here's what I realized that makes it so funny. The level of your praise must match the object of your praise. That's what makes it funny, right? Is when you talk to someone in a way and the level of your praise, the level of your enthusiasm is not congruent with the object of your praise. That's when you find yourself in funny situations, They need to be balanced. And so if you come to someone, you enter into a conversation, and the level of praise is too much, right? Like what you, the the, the enthusiasm that you are bringing, the level of your praise is greater than the object of your praise. That comes across as condescending, right? Almost patronizing, right? If I say to my seven-year-old, if I talk to him the way that I talk to my two-year-old, you went on the potty, and I praise him for his bowel movements, he's going to think I'm making fun of him. Right? You can't hand out praise like candy. He did not deserve it. He has not earned that level of praise. If you go the other way on the spectrum and your level of praise is not enough, if you're in the presence of something that deserves applause and recognition and you fail to give it, now you're not condescending. What are you? Disrespectful. It deserves more. And so this idea, friends, has kind of caused me in my home to do what I'm calling a praise check. You have your oil checks, you've got your health checks, your wellness checks. I'm doing a little bit of a praise check right now. Am I a person who gives too much praise? Am I overly enthusiastic? Am I coming across as condescending because I'm always yay with my children? Or am I the kind of dad who's not giving enough? Am I withholding praise that should be given to them? Am I I withholding recognition and admiration for things that are a job well done? And so maybe this is a silly way to think about it, friends, the praise check. But I believe this morning that Psalm 100, this is exactly what it's leading us to do. Psalm 100, for the next few moments, is calling you in to have a praise check. Not for how much praise you give your children, but how much praise are you giving God? And here's the question that Psalm 100 is going to answer. What kind of praise does God deserve? Praise check. What kind of praise does God deserve? Do you give him too little? Are you withholding praise from God? Is it possible to give him too much? Come on, God, why are you so serious? It's just God. What's all the praise stuff about? Praise check. What kind of praise does God deserve? Is it just a matter of personality? Is it a cultural, stylistic difference? There are a lot of styles. There are a lot of environments. So what kind of praise? Friends, how much praise is appropriate for God? And that's the question that Psalm 100 is going to answer this morning. So let's look at it. Beginning in verse 1, it says this. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. 
this is God's word for our church this morning. And so let's go back to verse 1. Let's break this down here. We begin, and the psalmist is calling us to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He's calling people to praise the Lord with specific commands. These are calls to action. And so this is not an invitation to come and observe something. This is not an invitation to just be in the room and be in the presence of other people doing something. This is a call to be an active participant in praising God. And so he gives us action words. He says, hey, make a noise. Make a noise. He says, serve the Lord. He says, come. Like, show up, arrive in his presence. He says, enter into his gates. How many of you have made a noise this morning? Like, it was called singing. Thank you very much. We made a noise, right? How many of you have come? I see yellow shirts. How many of you have come today to serve the Lord, to serve him? You guys are here. You've entered into his presence. You've come through the gates of the YMCA. And so here we are, friends. We're doing it. We are doing what the psalmist has instructed. But I want you to notice, the call involves more than just actions. The call involves more than just actions. He doesn't just say, make a noise. He says, no, 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 make a joyful noise. Literally, a loud shout. This is what I did the other day. I'm a New York Mets baseball fan, believe it, okay? And I'm there, and they hit a walk-off hit in the bottom end, and they win it. And I didn't sit there and go, this is a very intriguing ending to the game. I am so pleased with the outcome of this match. I go, Whoa! I, like, I literally was like, my wife was like, well, who's dead? You know, and I jump off the couch, and I shout, right? That's the picture here. This is a person whose affections are so engaged. Their soul is so moved by what they're seeing. Their awareness of God is so real that they cannot help but pour out a shout of joy. We see something so good. It engages our affections so much that it produces a shout of joy that is birthed from our innermost being. We're here not just because something has piqued our interest. It's because something has moved our souls. Look at the call. He doesn't just say, serve the Lord. He says, no, serve the Lord with gladness. This is not dutiful obligation. Friends, serving the Lord is not like eating your broccoli. We serve with glad obedience, not begrudged obedience. There is such gladness. We are so glad to serve him that it overflows with singing. We don't just show up. We are singing. Not the result of being coerced in a sing-along by an overly caffeinated song leader up front. That's not what the music time is at church. Come on, you can do All right, fine. No, we come in with a song already on our lips and already in our hearts. We don't just enter his gates, friends. We show up with thanksgiving. We're here giving thanks, knowing that God has blessed us, and friends, he has treated us way better than we deserve. And so there's thankfulness here. You see, this is a call to praise God in a way that is so much bigger than going through the motions. This is not a call to go through the motions. This is a call to worship God with your affections. Worship God with your affections. Jonathan Edwards, one of Jonathan Edwards' most famous work, The Affections, he defines it this way. 
the strong inclinations of the soul that are manifested in thinking, feeling, and acting. Your affections, it's, it's more than just emotions. It's more than just feelings, but it's not less, okay? These are feelings. These are convictions that are so deeply rooted that it moves us to do something about it. It is the posture of our hearts. You ever notice how easy it is to show up right here, sit in those chairs, and you can be moving the mouth, doing the words, doing the steps, going through the motions, but there's nothing happening up here or in here? Come on, don't look at me like that. You're like, you do what? Come on, you're with me, aren't you? Praise God from, did I take the free meat out of the freezer? What's my shopping list I have to do after? And we're singing, we're sitting there, we're making the noise. We're serving the Lord, and yet it's possible to go through the motions but not actually engage our affections. And so this morning, somebody just got reminded that they didn't take the meat out of the freezer. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. And so the psalmist this morning, he's reminding us that when we praise God, we're not just to go through the motions. This is not a call to chant something mindlessly. This is a reminder, friends, that God is worthy of praise. As a matter of fact, he's worthy of a life of worship that is more than dutiful action. He's worthy of a life that involves our genuine affections. There's a level of emotion. There's a level of conviction. There's an inclination at the soul level that is appropriate when it comes to worshiping this God. And so tell me, friends, are you going through the motions this morning? Are you going through the motions in this season of life? Are you checking the boxes and doing the steps? Or are are your affections engaged? Do you get it, what we're worshiping? You see, when I was younger, I went through this phase where I hated engaging at the affection level. I did. It was a couple years in college, and I just, I'm I'm a pretty cerebral guy as it is, and so I'm already averse to anything that smells like emotionalism, and so I became stoic. I'm not going to engage my affections. I'm just going to worship God with what's between my ears, and I'm not going to feel it, because if somebody wants me to feel it, what are they trying to sell me? You get it? There was almost this suspicious, cynical feeling about emotions, but here's what I've realized through passages like this. There's a difference between emotionalism and engaging God with your affections. Here's what emotionalism is. Shallow excitement. Hype with no substance. Come on, get excited, yeah! You're like, what are we getting excited about? I don't know, but just get excited, yeah! No, that's emotionalism. That's just chasing the wave. That's just being excited, but you have no idea what we're being excited about. Psalm 100 is not advocating for a hyped emotionalism. It's calling for a clear recognition of who God is. It's leading us to an awareness of God and that he is worthy of our affections. This is not about empty hype. This is about informed sensibilities. And so what kind of worship does he deserve, friends? I'll tell you this, indifference, over-familiarity, comfortability, casualness and apathy, presumption, those things have no place in the heart of those who worship God. He's infinitely worthy of more than that. So we're called to worship him with our affections. 
And it's not just you. It's not just the people sitting in this room right now. It's not just those who happened to attend his musical service when he was singing this song. Who is this psalm talking to? Look at it, friends. Look at your text. Who is he giving these commands to? Who is he calling to worship? Do you see it? He says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. This is not just poetic language. The psalmist is reminding us that God is worthy of this kind of worship, not just from one tribe, not just from one ethnicity and people group, but from all of it. And this is not a, wouldn't that be nice? Can you imagine if all the earth actually worshiped? Wouldn't that be nice? This is just poetic hyperbole. No. This is the end toward which all of human history is moving. This is God's plan. The creator is going to redeem the whole globe, all people groups, all ethnicities, all tribes. He is moving his plan exactly toward this end when all of the earth will worship him. Habakkuk 2.4, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. How much of the sea is covered by water? All of it. How much of the earth will worship God one day? All of it. Go to the end of the book, friends. Read the ending. Revelation 7. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. I love that. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. One day. All people groups, all tribes, all nations, all ethnicities, they will be standing before the Lamb and they will be worshiping God with their affections because this is the end toward which God is moving things. All of the earth will join into God's family and worship Him because that is the level of worship that He deserves. God deserves global praise. So all the earth, all the earth, that's why Jesus came to save all people. That's why a multicultural church is a blessing because it is a reminder that Jesus came to earth to save all people. He came for all the nations of the earth so that they could answer the call. All the earth, praise him. He laid down his life so that all the earth could join in God's family and answer the call to worship him. God deserves global praise. Worship God with your affections. All the peoples, all the ethnicities, all the tribes, all the skin colors. Worship him with your affections. Well, Sam, what if I'm just not a feeler? What if I'm just not demonstrative? What if I'm just not gregarious? What if I'm just not as extroverted? Like, what, what, what do I do there then? First of all, hey, we're all different, Okay. And God made us different. And so this is more than a call to mimic a person up front with a microphone, right? We can all praise God in our own ways. Secondly, remember this, your affections, it's more than just enthusiasm and excitement. Don't mishear him. In worshiping God with your affections, it's not just becoming a la-la land Christian. You know what a la-la land Christian is, right? Hey, your house is on fire. Are things are, no, it's not. It's all good. I love God. Praise the Lord. ha Dude, you're not living in reality, right? Is that what it means to worship God with your affections? No, it's more than that. However, 
if indifference and casualness and apathy, if those things characterize your soul more than gladness, more than joy, more than singing, then Psalm 100 is confronting you today. And here's what we realize in Psalm 100. If that's you, you don't have a feeling problem. If that's you, you don't have an emotions problem. You have a seeing problem. There's not something wrong with your emotions. There's something wrong with your eyes, and you're probably not seeing correctly, which is why in the second half of our, uh, of our sermon here, look what he says in verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Our approach to God, friends, it comes with another command. He says, worship God with your affections, but look at the second command. He says, I want you to know. In the middle of these commands to engage our affections is a command that addresses the source of those affections. He says, I want you to know rightly. I want you to understand. I want you to see and think about God correctly. In other words, friends, we are to worship God with our minds. Worship God with your mind. You see, this psalm, it was written at a time in Israel's history where there were numerous wrong and erroneous understandings of who God is. Read the Old Testament and you will see dozens and dozens and scores of characters who believe the following. God just wants me to be happy. God wouldn't judge me. I mean, we have the ark of God. What bad can happen to us? You'll see people who believe this. God understands. He knows my heart. Others believe this. He's one of many gods, and I can worship him with all of my other ones. That's in the Bible. Those are people in the Old Testament, often even belonging to God's family. Sidebar, we should not be reading the Old Testament as like, here are the perfect examples of how we follow. More than often, these are examples of fallen humans, which is why we need a Savior, right? That's how we read the Old Testament. But these views in the Old Testament about God, do those sound familiar? Is it not the same today? When you go to class, when you go to work, when you go on Snapchat and Twitter, on Instagram, do we not live in a society with so many competing views and pictures and ideas about God. You talk to four people and you get seven ideas about God. And so just like to them, this word comes to us. In that context, in this kind of setting, the psalmist says, no. No, worship God with your mind. Think about it. I want you to know. I want you to understand him correctly. I want you to see the creator clearly. I want you to worship the God who made us in his image, not the God that you've made in your image. No. See him. Understand who it is that we're worshiping. And what are we to know? Well, look at here. Look what we should be seeing clearly. First of all, understand who we're talking about. We're talking about the Lord. The Lord. Whenever you see in your Bible, capital L-O-R-D, they are translating the proper name of God, Yahweh. Sometimes they would say, oh, Elohim, Adonai, 
right? Those are just generic words for God, like lowercase g. But when we see the capitals, that is Yahweh, that is the name by which God introduced himself to a people and said, hi, I will be your God and you will be my people. That is the name that he gave when he entered into covenant relationship with his people. And so as we engage here with the Lord, as we understand who he is, first and foremost, understand we're talking about the God who revealed himself in mighty deeds and entered into relationship with his people. We're talking about Yahweh, the one true God, the creator of the universe. We're talking about not some generic God, capital G, God. And so engage your mind, understand who the God of all gods is. And as you look at him, as you start to see him clearly, do you know what you'll see? Look what the psalmist sees when he looks. He sees the God who created us. It is he who made us. See, he is the source of everything. He is the eternal, powerful creator who speaks galaxies into existence. He's the one who breathed into the first man. It's his breath in our lungs. So when we praise him with our breath, we're not giving him anything he doesn't deserve. We're not doing him any favors. He's the creator. Know this. He's the one who made us. He didn't just make us and walk away like an aloof God. No, no, no. Not only did he create us, he saved us. He moved near to those who were far away. He ran after those who rejected him. And he said, no, you will be my people and I will be your God. And so now we are not just a people. We're his people. That's who God is. He's the God who cares for us. Just like a shepherd cares for the sheep of his pasture. God is so intimately aware of our needs, and he lovingly cares for us. Know this. And then most simply, here's what I want you to know. He's good. He's good. His being, his essence, everything about who he is, it is good. It is worthy of esteem. It is worthy of worship and praise. Friends, God is good. And then more than all those other things, that might be the crux. That might be the most controversial uh, uh, clarity providing attribute of God that our culture needs to hear. He's good. And a lot of these other competing pictures and voices, that's what they're missing. They don't believe it. God's not good. Worship God with your mind and know it. He's the creator he cares for us. He has saved us. And more than all of that, he is good. And his goodness is most easily seen in his relationship with his people. His goodness, whenever, whenever you talk about God, he is good. How do we see his goodness? How does his goodness manifest itself when he connects with us? We call it steadfast love. Two words in English, one word in Hebrew, chesed. Don't say it. You'll spit on the person in front of you, right? Chesed. Maybe you've been driving through the country and you've seen these chesed community churches, right? What is chesed? Who is this guy? Why is he on all of our buildings? No, no. The Hebrew word chesed, it means this. It's unfailing love. It is a faithful and steadfast loyalty that clings fiercely to the object it's set on. When, God, when we say that God has shown us his chesed, he has shown us his unconditional, undying love so that even when we reject him, he runs after us. Even when we turn our backs on him, he comes for us. 
He is good, and we know it because he is steadfast in his love toward us. His love is not conditional. His love is a faithfulness that persists toward us even when we are faithless. Do you see him? Know this, friends. He is good in a way that no one else on this earth is good. And the psalmist this morning is saying, know this. Worship him with your mind. Understand who he is. See him clearly so that way when you praise him, you're praising him in truth. That way when you worship him, you are worshiping him with your mind. Not as an academic exercise. Knowing God is essential if we are to give him the praise and worship that he deserves. And so friends, let me ask you, are you worshiping the God who created you in his image? Or are you worshiping a God that you've created in your image? Is your persona, is your caricature of God, is your understanding of who Yahweh is, is it thought through? The call is to know his true identity. Engage your mind and understand who he is. Now here's another question. Are you growing? Are you growing in your understanding of God? Do you understand his identity? Do you understand his actions? Do you understand his motivations better today than you did last week? I hope so. That's my prayer. Do you understand who he is? Is your picture of him less fuzzy and more crystallized than it was a year ago? Two years ago? I hope so. That's my prayer. Worship God with your mind, friends. Continually align your thoughts and your pictures of God with the identity that he's revealed, not the one that our culture or even our own hearts have revealed. No, he is God. You see, the psalmist, he's here, and he's worshiping God with his mind. He sees clearly who he is, and he's told us as much. He sees the God who cares for him. He sees the God who saves him. He sees the God who is faithful. He sees the God who has created all things. But here's what I want you to know, friends, and this is not hyperbole. You and I can see infinitely better than he did. He saw God clearly, right? He was worshiping the God that he saw, but you and I have a better vantage point. You and I have a better view of this God than the psalmist ever did because we can see God in Jesus Christ. You see, in, in Colossians 1.15, it says this, he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image, the visage. The, you want to see what God is like? Look at Jesus, it says. 2 Corinthians 4, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How can I know God? How can I know his glory? How can I see it more clearly? How can I understand what God is like? He put on skin. Look at his face. We have a better view of God than the psalmist ever did. Friends, we hear God's voice better than any prophet of old did. Look at Hebrews. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. 
How many of us would say, man, I wish I can go back to the old days, and I can, if I can just meet a prophet, then I can know what God is like. If I can have a prophet come and talk to me, then I would know. And he says, don't you understand, church? You have an upgrade. God spoke to the, through the prophets because his son hadn't arrived yet. We hear him. We see him. We can know God so much more clearly than they did of old because we have Jesus. This is our God. Know him. See him clearly. The psalmist, he looked far away and he talked about God's chesed. And here we see that chesed came to us. His name is faithful and true. And he showed us his steadfast love and kindness when he died on a cross so that we could come into his family. On the cross, we see the full display of God's glory as he comes for those who reject him, as he pursues those who run away from him. Worship God with your mind. See him for who he is, and you will see him most clearly as you look at Jesus Christ. And so, friends, God is worthy of your worship. He's worthy so that you could worship him with your affections. He's worthy, so worship God with your mind. Why can't I just have one or the other, right? Can't I just feel it? Isn't it enough to just be sincere? Isn't it enough to just be hyped up and enthusiastic? Why do I need my mind? Maybe you're on the other side, right? Do I need to feel it? Isn't it enough just to know the truth and I'm doing the steps and I'm doing it and I'm obeying him? What more does he want than obedience? He's worthy of both. He is worthy, friends. That's why God's goodness demands all-consuming praise. Jesus says, worship God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Because God demands, his goodness demands all-consuming praise. Worship him with your mind and worship him with your affections. And here's a picture I'm going to give you as we end here. For you to remember the relationship between mind and affections, I want you to remember the fire. I want you to remember this fire. Here's this picture. As wood fuels the flames, so knowledge of God's actions and character fuel the heat of our affections. Let me say it another way. Truth are like logs that feed the fire so that our heart is set ablaze with love and affection for God. And guess what? As the flames consume and grow, the fire then hungers for more fuel to sustain it. And so here's my questions for you, friends. Where do you tend with the fire? And there's three types of people here. Where do you tend with this fire? Some of you, and perhaps you're an older believer, the fire has gone out. Perhaps you're an older believer, and it's been a while since you have felt the flame of your affections ignite. So here's to you, friends. Perhaps you're just lacking wood. When was the last time you laid a log on the fire? When was the last time you chewed through a good book of theology? When was the last time you delved deep and you reflected on the attributes of God? When was the last time you read a good book written by men and women whose hearts bleed for the gospel and their ability to highlight the attributes of God are amazing? Maybe you're lacking wood. Maybe that's you. Second category, maybe you're here and you have wood, but you don't have any of the flames in this picture. Do you tend to be a collector of dry and lifeless facts about God? 
Do you like to argue and debate and get things right? But there are no affections in your heart. Just a dispassionate dealing with truth. Friends, warning, the longer that you deal with these truths in this way, the more you will become insensitive and callous to just how amazing they are. And so do you want to stir the heat of your affections? Take a fresh look. Take a prayerful look, review, go back to it and take a fresh look and pray that the Lord would ignite and awaken your sensitivities. And as you look at it, here's what you do. Respond. Respond. Whether you feel or not, you respond. You sing. You praise out loud. You engage your senses so that you can jumpstart your sensibilities. Maybe you're lacking flames. Or maybe you're here in the third category and you're pursuing flames without any wood. Maybe you're a person who loves the short-lived spark of emotion, right? And your life has become more concerned with having the feels than having the truth. Eventually, you become obsessed with having those feelings and you don't care if the content is not there. You're just chasing the next wave of emotion and the rush of adrenaline and it's disconnected from any facts or reality about who God is. And friends, I'm telling you, if you kneel down to pray to a God and you have no picture of what that God is like, you're not doing anything. And so perhaps you're chasing flames, I would tell you, do you want to have substance in your life with God? Gather good wood. Study the nature of God. Join a community group that discusses the Bible and prays together. Don't assume you know what's there, and then you're just responding. Take a fresh look every day. Look and say, Lord, open my eyes to behold wondrous things from your word. And as you do that, friends, you will worship God with your mind, you will worship God with your affections as you should because God's goodness demands all-consuming praise. And so here's my prayer for you, friends, as we end. My prayer is that you would see clearly the glory of God. My prayer is that you would be captured by the beauty of his goodness and his faithfulness seen perfectly in the face of Jesus so that you will respond by giving God the all-consuming praise that he deserves. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for revealing yourself to us. Lord, we can only know you. We can only know what you're like because you have shown up to us. And so, Lord, I pray that East Point Church would be a place where this fire is always lit, where we study and worship with our minds, where we look for truth, even if it's hard, even if it's inconvenient. May we embrace the truth of this word and not succumb to pressures of society or culture or our friends. May we worship you with our minds. And then, Lord, may we also worship you with our affections as you deserve, Lord. Forgive us for callousness. Forgive us for insensitivity. Forgive us for apathy and casualness when it comes to the awesome truths of the gospel. Awaken our hearts, Lord. Light the fire again so that we can worship you, Lord, with all of our hearts, our minds, our soul, and our strength. We ask you this in Jesus' precious name. And the church said, amen.
want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeaston.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.